It's good to be here tonight. We appreciate the presence of all that have come to be with us, and we are very grateful that you're here. We're continuing in our study on the book of Philippians, and the set of questions covers chapter 2 in verses 23 through 30. So we'll be finishing Philippians chapter 2 tonight. What I'd like to do, though, is I'd like to go back to verse 19, and we're going to begin reading there, and I'll read down through the end of the chapter, just for context here. Beginning there in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. But you know his, pro, his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send unto you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Correctly read and barring any mistakes on my part, reads those verses of scripture that are under consideration tonight in the latter part of Philippians chapter 2. And just to kind of set the tone for what we discussed last time, very briefly, we had studied that Paul wanted to send Timothy. Now, Timothy was a man that was very close to Paul considered as one, perhaps, that would have been his son in the faith. You know, we talk about Timothy being the young evangelist. We talk about him like that. And Timothy labored together with Paul. In fact, it was well known about his character. It was well known about his priorities and all of that. In fact, we just studied last time that Paul said that he labored with me in the gospel as a son and a father. Now, interestingly about that, that doesn't mean that Paul being the father and Timothy being the son and Paul was in charge and, and uh, ruled over Timothy and Timothy obeyed and so forth like a young child would do in the home. That's not what that means. What he's saying about Timothy is and his relationship with him, we labored together like a father and son. You know, there's nothing greater than the loyalty of father and son when both of them have the same regard for the other and are working together with great loyalty. So it was a loving relationship that he's describing with Timothy and Paul. And Paul said, I have no one else that I could send that is greater than Timothy. I have no one else that would care for you like Timothy. In fact, Paul said, he said this, he said, most people think about other things or they think about themselves. And uh, most people don't think like Timothy. But as I paraphrase, Timothy thinks about Jesus Christ first and the cause of Christ first. 
So he'd, he'd love to send Timothy. He would also love to go himself, but he knows that he can't as of right now. And then in verse number 23, he said this, Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. And this covers the first question. Actually, I'll read the second verse, verse 24, and then we'll look at the question. Paul says, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So what was Paul referring to when he said, as soon as I see how it goes with me? I think the answer is obvious. I think Paul, as he was personally imprisoned at the time, or currently imprisoned at the time, and he was looking at his situation, his impending trial, and he said this, I desire to go too. I want to go with Timothy. So I'm not going to send him yet, but as I see what's going to happen to me in my impending trial, just maybe I can go too. And I would love to join him and go shortly. In fact, that's what verse 24 says. He says, I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. I want to notice that phrase, I trust in the Lord. You know, what Paul was saying is, he was saying this, and many times Paul understood this very concept, and it's a great concept to know. It's a great concept for all of us to know even today in our life. When you are a Christian, you put your life in the hands of God in both time and eternity, and you put God in charge. In other words, what Paul was saying here. I want to go. I want to go to Philippi. I want to go with Timothy and see you. But I got to wait to see what's going on here. But I trust in the Lord. In other words, it's in his hands. But he also had faith that it would be all right and he would be able to go to Philippi. He said, I trust in the Lord. In other words, determining voice that holds the future is the Lord. And I believe that he thought that he would be able to do that by faith too. But in verses 25 and 26, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Notice how he describes Epaphroditus. This is really incredible. He calls him, these are some high praise words. He said, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. But then he says, but he's your messenger. You know, interestingly about this word messenger, it can be used in a generic sense and it can be used in a specific sense. And oftentimes this word in its origins is translated as apostle. And we can look in the New Testament and we can find that the word apostle is used to describe those that were sent by the Lord. And by the way, that's what that means. It means to be sent. And we can look at the specific office of an apostle And the 12 apostles, and one fell, and Matthias was added to the 12, and Paul was added later on. They were apostles in an official sense, in that they were sent by the Lord, chosen and sent. This man, Epaphroditus, was not an apostle in an official sense, but in a general sense or generic sense, he was an apostle in that he was sent, he was a minister. So Paul said this about Epaphroditus. He's my brother, he's my fellow worker, he's a fellow soldier, but he's your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. And then in verse 26, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. You know what? I think sometimes it's human nature 
It's human nature sometimes when we have things that go wrong in our life or our health and we worry about ourselves. I think it's human nature to do that and be really concerned about ourselves. And really, if you talk to people about their worries, usually they're worried about things that are going on in their life. And I'm not saying there's a thing wrong with that. Sometimes we worry, and then the Bible tells us what to do about worry is, uh, you know, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. But it's, it's human nature to be concerned about the things that are going on in your own personal life. What's amazing about this is Epaphroditus was sick. And the people that were there in Philippi were concerned for him and his health. And they were worried about it. In fact, and that's what it says in verse 26. It says, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. What's amazing is Epaphroditus was distressed not because he was sick or his own problem. He was distressed because they were worried. That, that's amazing. How about being so selfless that you have an illness, and we're going to find out, was an illness that almost took his life. It was a serious illness. And he's concerned, and he's distressed because, um, and the word distressed means, the Greek term describes the confused or chaotic, a heavy state of restlessness that results from a time of turmoil or great trauma. So Epaphroditus was distressed because they were worried about him because he was sick. And then in verse 27, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have, I should sorrow, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You know, um, this is really amazing because if you think about this, and, and I've always known about this, but I, I hadn't really looked at it as closely as I did today. But have you ever stopped to consider that just maybe there are times when God spares the life of someone and extends mercy and spares the life of someone for showing mercy for somebody else? Have you ever stopped to consider that's exactly what Paul's saying. Paul is saying God had mercy and extended that mercy in sparing the life of Epaphroditus. But Paul said not only did he extend mercy by extending his life, he extended mercy to me so I would not sorrow upon sorrow that I lost my friend in the faith. You know, that's really a powerful thing. I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about, you know, there's a lot of things I don't understand about what God does and God's providential care. And we studied about that in a Bible study the other night. But a God's providential care, I just know that God's providence, God is involved in his providential care. And God makes decisions. And sometimes we don't understand that. But in this verse, it's saying this. I'm going to read it again. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That's pretty powerful. And that's what that phrase means, sorrow upon sorrow. The first idea is Paul was undergoing terrible persecution. 
Paul was in prison. Paul had an impending trial coming his way. Paul had some real trouble. And instead of allowing him to have sorrow upon sorrow, and that would be with Epaphroditus now dying, God was merciful to Epaphroditus, and he was merciful to Paul, and he spared his life. And then the phrase, that I may be less sorrowful. One scholar said to relieve the tension was another reason for sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi at this time, besides the one mentioned in verse 25. In other words, when the brethren got to see him, you know, today we just text. I knew Chris was going to, Chris and his family were running late. So I texted him to take the invitation song and the closing prayer. What I'm getting at is this. We have access to people easily, instantaneously, even if you're in other parts of the world. But in this case, they didn't have that. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have ways of picking up the phone and making a phone call. So Paul said, it's good that Epaphroditus goes back and relieve the stress because these brethren in Philippi were greatly distressed and greatly sorrowful and worried sick about Epaphroditus. So he said, I'm going to send him back and it will relieve that very thing and also relieve the stress that was on Paul worried about them all. Verse 29, which covers question number four. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. You know, the question simply is this. How does a Christian receive someone in the Lord? Well, first of all, when you receive someone in the Lord, you are receiving a fellow Christian. You are receiving a brother or a sister in Christ. In this case, it's a brother in Christ. And the brother in Christ is Epaphroditus. Now, interestingly, they loved him. So they didn't need instruction or they didn't need admonition. He wasn't correcting them. I think this was really just a friendly, loving, encouraging reminder. Receive him in the Lord. Now, this is what that means. I think it means this in two ways. Number one, it means receive him as a brother. That's number one. Number two, receiving him in the Lord also means Receive him in the same way that the Lord would receive him. Have you ever stopped to consider the word Christian means Christ-like? And that means that in our life we behave like Christ. If we're going to follow our leader, if we're going to follow Jesus, and he is the, he is the husband and we are the bride being the church, and we are Christians, meaning we are Christ-like, that means that in every aspect of our life, we have to do our best to try to act like Jesus. You know, the world even came up with, remember that WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, I don't think people need to have some sort of a sign or a bracelet or a shirt. I think that people ought to be able to have Christ living in them to the point they don't need reminders like that. If Jesus Christ is in me and I am following him, then his word is burning in my heart too. I'm not going to need those extra reminders. I got the word of God and I've got Jesus Christ in my heart. So to receive him as you would in the Lord is to receive him as you will, as Jesus would do also. And then he says to receive him and give him honor uh, or esteem because of his work's sake. And finally, verse number 30 
The question is summarize this verse and then briefly summarize the chapter. So verse 30. Here's the reason, by the way, he got sick. And, and I've looked and looked and researched and read scholar after scholar, and I tried to find out what exactly the illness was. And some have speculated, but I'm going to tell you, I don't think we can know. I don't think we know for sure. All we know is what happened and when he got sick, and it's in verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So evidently, they didn't have sufficient enough or provisions enough for him to take it to Paul and have Paul have what he needed. So what did, what did Epaphroditus do? He tarried. He stayed along. He stayed there and did something of a secular capacity in order to create or have the provisions and bring it back to Paul when Paul was in prison. Whatever happened, whatever people speculate, whatever happened, he became ill. And in that period of time, it was an illness that almost took his life. Very serious. Now, it's very important to note this too. When they didn't have enough provisions, it wasn't the fault of those in Philippi. It wasn't the church's fault. In fact, we find out later they, didn't have, they lacked opportunity. In other words, it wasn't their fault. It just happened. They weren't enough. And Epaphroditus had to stay on. Got ill, whatever happened to him, and almost died. Paul said, I need to send him back to relieve the stress, to, re to relieve the worry, also to get a good report. And Paul was longing for the time, very shortly perhaps, that his matter from a legal standpoint would be cast aside. He would be released from custody and be able to travel with Timothy and go back there and check on the church in Philippi. So, that's the questions under consideration. So, let's, I'm just going to give you a quick summary of the chapter and then we'll open it for discussion. The chapter begins with a theme being humility. And not only just humility... But humility with regards to its role that it plays in unity. You know, it's really amazing. If, if people didn't have a problem with humility, we really wouldn't have any problem with unity. It's easy to be unified when people possess the spirit of humility. And the idea is this. Don't just think about yourself. And by the way, remember in the beginning of the chapter... In the beginning of the chapter, he wasn't condemning someone that thought about his own needs or his own self. He talked about not thinking about only your own self. That's the problem. So, in the midst of taking care of my obligations, if I think of somebody beyond me or somebody above me and I put him above me, that is humility and that actually works together to bond with unity. And that covers... Uh, verses 1 through 4, verses 5 through 11. And I love this because now the emphasis is on Jesus. Here's the example. So this is what I need you to do, but here's the example. And verses 5 through 11, the emphasis is on Jesus and his humility and exaltation. In other words, because he humbled himself, God exalted him and gave him a name that was greater and higher than every name. And I think that name is Lord. Why do I think that? 
Well, obviously, it's Jesus Christ. It is the description of him, but it has to include Lord. It has to. If it doesn't, then why does it say that when Jesus comes back, there'll be a time when every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord? So not only was he given all power and all authority in heaven and earth, but he was also given the title of Lord. He is Lord of our life. He is Lord of it all. Therefore, he's been given that name. Why? He humbled himself in submission to God's plan, and God exalted him for doing that. All right, verses 12 through 17 now. Then he talks about letting their light shine to the world. Paul encourages them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, practical things that they can do. He tells them to hold fast the word of life so that Paul could rejoice in the day of Christ. Now, something about that. Paul said, you keep going so that we can rejoice in the day of Christ. Now, what's that mean? Well, the day of Christ is talking about the second coming. It's talking about when Jesus comes back. So he says that there's going to be rejoicing when you make it. And I think that's really important because there are people in your life, for example, that you have had some sort of effort, you've done something that has helped convert them. And maybe you go years and you've never seen them, you never see them again. When the Lord comes back, there's rejoicing because they have kept the faith and you have kept the faith. And I think about that a lot too. I think about the fact that there's a day of rejoicing when the Lord comes back to hang in there and know that when the, when the day of Christ comes, the labor is not in vain. That's what Paul said, that the labor would not be in vain. Now, got to add this though. Paul was not saying when he said my labor is in vain, he was not saying that he was going to be judged based on their obedience. And I don't think we're going to be judged either based on somebody else's obedience and faithfulness. You know, we can do all that we can. We can take the word of God to people. We can preach the truth. We can do all that. But there comes a time when a person has to make the choice on their own. And if they choose something else and they choose to turn their back on the Lord, we're not going to be judged for their making that choice. Their faithfulness does not mean whether the work was successful in terms of doing our part. You know why? Because all we do is plant and water. That's it. And God gives the increase. So we don't get the credit when they obey, and we won't get the blame when they disobey. But what he's saying is this. My labor would not be in vain. In other words, I look at it as a success. If you make it to the end, and I make it to the end, and together we rejoice. That covers those verses. Now, 19 through 23. It was Paul's commending of Timothy. We talked about that in the introduction. I'll not do that again. His proven character and all that he was known for. Wanting to send Timothy. Understanding that perhaps he would be out of the imprisonment soon and he can go too. And then finally, verses 25 through 29. It covers the questions under consideration tonight. And that is, uh, for the most part, about Epaphroditus their relationship, their love for him, what he did, what he sacrificed, and God's great mercy in sparing his life. Absolutely. And Terry read that scripture when he said that they came to his aid, and he says, and he wanted them to do that, but not so that he could receive a gift, but so that it would be fruit credited to their account. 
Anytime a congregation is behind financially a work, it is fruit for your account. Every time. And that means this, too, in a practical sense. There's going to be people, just because you're a member of this congregation, and it is a command to give, and we give of our means on the first day of the week. We must give. And when we do give, whatever amount that is, we give that which is pur we purpose in our heart as we've been prospered, like the Word of God says. Okay? When that money from the treasury is taken and used to preach the gospel, there's going to be people in heaven because the support of the preacher that, sent the, that is sent from the congregation, there's people in heaven that are credited to your account. That means this, just like Denny said, you are involved in every aspect of a work when you're behind an evangelist preaching the gospel, in every aspect of it. I think the greatest things that are done for the cause of Christ are oftentimes done behind the scenes when nobody even sees it. It could be a sister in Christ doing something behind the scenes that needs to be done. It could be a brother in Christ. It could be an older person. It could be a younger person. It doesn't really matter. But some of the greatest things that are ever done are done behind the scenes when nobody knows. And the greatest things we can do, God sees that when we're not trying to do it to get the credit. We're just doing a little part, a little work. God sees every bit of it. And that's credit. That's fruit credited to your account. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.